Welcome to The Contemplative Life. Three pastors, friends, and spiritual companions help us explore spirituality through a contemplative lens. I'm Christina Roberts. I'm Chris Roberts. I'm Christina Kaiser. We're glad you joined us. Hello. It's great to be with you. If you've been joining us this summer, we are exploring ancient mystics and contemplatives in the hopes that we can be inspired by their lives. And so today we're going to be talking about Julian of Norway. And I was actually first introduced to her by a woman in a contemplative group that I was part of about seven years ago. And I had this newborn baby. And once a month, I went to this house and it was empty nesters that hosted it. So it was just this like comfortable, cozy space where I'd walk in all these people that were retired, serving me tea and just lovely conversation. And each month we had to take turns talking about a contemplative topic. And there was this one woman in the group that was just fascinated with Julian of Norwick. And I really hadn't heard much about her prior to that. And she actually went to France and visited kind of her homeland. And it was this big thing for her. And her enthusiasm really stuck with me. And there's two phrases that I want to talk about here in a moment that have really stuck with me from my time of exploring Julian. But before we dive into those wonderful phrases, it might be helpful to give a little bit of context. Julian lived during the plague. So her lifespan was the mid 1300s to early 1400s. And again, if we remember studying the plague in school, lots of heartache, lots of death, lots of just trauma that people were experiencing collectively hardship. And so she wrote a book called Revelations of Divine Love, where she ended up having this really profound experience of understanding the suffering of Christ. She had this vision of Christ and the suffering. It just really had this huge impact on her. And one of her phrases that I've appreciated is this idea, and all will be well, all manners of things shall be well. And my friend, no matter what the group was, even when it wasn't her month, she would always say, Christina, all will be well, all manners of things shall be well. And it was this mantra that my friend Jean had adopted. And it just really has stuck with me in both large and small ways that all is well when I'm facing a challenging situation, somehow stopping to think about that phrase grounds me because I can grab hold of what is well in my life. And there's always something that is well in my life. There's always plenty if I stop to think about it. And also recognizing that the trial or suffering that I'm experiencing, somehow all shall be well. There's this, somehow it's going to be okay, even if I'm in the messy middle right now and I can't quite see the light, that all shall be well. Very simple phrase, but very incredibly grounding for me. So let me pause there. And as I offer that phrase to the two of you, and all will be well, all manner of things shall be well. What resonates with you both today? I do like that phrase a lot and have really enjoyed reading Julian of Norwich's stuff. So yeah, I think there are multiple reasons for why that phrase hits me in a certain kind of way. And so maybe rather than listing them all off, I'll just start with one. But one of the reasons is I think it has become increasingly clear to me over time that in general, I tend to want what I want. And I think that is a culture. I think we all have that sense of we're in charge of things and we're supposed to know things and we set an intention and an idea and then we move towards it. And so much of spirituality is living with what is. And we talk about that quite a bit, but this notion of all shall be well, it gives me this chance to like back away from this intense plan, this intense identity, whatever it is that I've created to say, oh, okay, maybe there's a larger story here. Yeah, I 
have always heard in contemplative spaces, people uh, use the phrase, all will be well, all manner of things shall be well. And I think I really resonated with one of the things that that you said, Christina Roberts, in the beginning, being in the messy middle, <laughs> right? And I haven't read anything on Julian of Norwich. I have listened to a number of podcasts that have, have talked about her life. And one of the things that I think has been discussed is these revelations that she received happened over a course of many years. And I think as I continue to live this life, and you talked about your friend having a mantra of telling yourself, I, to me, it's a, just a contemplative way to say, I have in the midst of messiness come through and I may be in messiness right now, but I'm still going to come through. And I think it, it just a little bit projects that th my future self is going to be okay. And so I really love that as a mantra. I appreciate you bringing that up. And I also, which is why I wanted to share the context that she's sharing this again during a very difficult collective time in history. And so I don't get the sense that she's inviting us to ignore our troubles or to like, everything's going to be great, sunny Christianity, woohoo. But instead that there, but there is an acknowledgement of, yes, things are difficult, but it shall be well. Like there's a journey that we're on. And at the end, even if we can't see it right now, there is hope, there is light, there is goodness. And so I think I appreciate the tone and vibe in which she's offering this phrase doesn't feel trite to me. There, there seems to be a depth to what she's offering. And interestingly enough, people would come, she was like, she lived in this cell and people would come to her for spiritual guidance and counsel and just the richness of, and again, that the connection point was through suffering. That was, there was something there in suffering that people re were really drawn to the way that she was engaging with that. And come to find out that she was one of the first women to write a book in the English language that has survived. There may have been somebody before her that maybe we just don't have copies of, but so that's pretty pr profound too, right? That people even back then listen to her as a female spiritual leader, which again, a lot of times it wasn't until way after someone's death that people could recognize the wisdom that they have. But in real time, people were experiencing that. And of course, her works have lived on. But I think with that, there's another phrase that comes to mind of hers that also has really stuck with me. And it's this idea of oneing with God and oneing being O-N-E-I-N-G, oneing, being one with God. And really talking about that union with Christ and being one with the spirit. So again, as I, and again, it's all of Christ, right? It's the Christ of the suffering. It's the Christ of love, all of it. Very profound idea there. As I offer the phrase of oneing with God, I wonder what comes up for you with that. That's right. The sense of the oneing is also a part of her story. Yeah, I feel like with all of these, and suffering seems to do, I have studied this with joy as well. We often say like, oh, we don't know dark without light. We don't know joy without suffering. Her story is really intense. As I remember it, she's looking at this crucifix. They're like pronouncing her all but dead. And then she begins having these really profound visions. So it's really in the midst of the devastation that she has this experience. And then as I remember, it's 20 years of what does it all mean? And going back through it. But that notion of connection to God, union with God has been so important in my experience of life. And I was just talking about this with somebody yesterday. 
going through having kids and having a career and sometimes feeling like I'm not good enough or I'm not as intense as maybe somebody else maybe gets up at five in the morning and they're in their study and they're doing all these spiritual things. And I would have been like, I'm feeding a baby at five in the morning. It was a very different experience. And they might have a whole day, whereas I might be praying while I'm chopping vegetables and sweeping the floor. And it became clear as I met with a spiritual director, oh, where is God? God is everywhere, right? God is in all of these things that I'm doing. And I didn't have to be ashamed of that. I didn't have to be ashamed that God was with me in the cooking and the cleaning and the baby feeding and all of that stuff. So whereas I continued to feel like I needed to hide that I wasn't as scholarly or (laughs) as intense. In fact, it was, but it looked very different. And those things were connection with God. That became really important in my story. Yeah, I appreciate this notion of wanting too. And I think part of Julian's story that I resonate with is she's in the cell and the cell turns in towards the cloistered religious life, but then the cell opens up to the outside world. And that's where people in the town would come to talk to Julian. And so this idea of wanting, I think a lot of people have this notion of, oh, I'm living the normal life. I have kids, I have a job, I can't be like these people who are in monasteries. I don't have the time to pray. I don't have the time to connect with the divine like all these other people. And Julian would face inward and have a wanting life with the divine. And then she would turn outward and hear about the problems of the world and the problems of the world engaging with people sharing in their stories and their suffering didn't take her away from that oneness. All that, what we would call the outward activity of life didn't distract her from that oneness, but she was with God with those people. And so I think that's an incredible encouragement to us that wherever we're at in life, whatever we're doing, whether it's it's meditating or centering prayer, or if we're Uh, at the bar. (laughs) There's this idea that God is with us in all things. And that if our intention is set towards him, that he is everywhere all the time, we can have that connectedness. So I really appreciate that about her life. I do too. And I think coming back to that equality notion that all shall be well, there's this place in her writings where she talks about, and this I think would be really kind of strange to us just to preface and say, but she talks about these levels of heaven and then goes on to talk about how they don't really feel like levels. It all feels equal. So it just kind of blows up your whole notion of what you think you understand about things. And I think that tends to be true. So much of scripture was written in this parable sense and there was all this metaphor involved. And so you're trying to use the words that you know to describe something. Yeah, there's these places and levels and quotations, but they're not. They're equal. It's like how we spend time with God, how we're experiencing life. Somehow the spiritual world is operating on a different set of understandings than we are. And it makes me think of this idea of God being outside of time and yet in time with us both. However, that works mysteriously. And Chris, you had mentioned earlier about it's like our future self shall be well. So we, I'm sitting with my current self all is well and all shall be well, my future self and being able to live in different 
time zones of our life or time experiences. And I just recently was meeting with someone and she, I've been her spiritual guide for a number of years now. And so she said, I was on a retreat. I just grabbed a random journal and it happened to be from 2019. And I was journaling about some of our experiences. And so she was reflecting on five years ago, literally some of the things that she was praying about and reflecting on and obstacles that were in her way. And then here she was five years later on a retreat with that same journal, literally living the opposite or some of the desires of her heart that weren't happening at the time, five years later, experiencing that and just reflecting on like, she said, I couldn't have orchestrated it. If I had tried five years ago, I never would have dreamed that I would be where I'm at right now, doing the things that I'm doing, having the soul healing that I'm experiencing right now. And just exciting to think about that inside of time and outside of time perspective that I think Julian really understands. And I think, again, when you have acute suffering happening all around you, I think the eternal perspective just becomes a lot more louder and clearer to help you with the day-to-day as well. Chris, your like inward and outward uh, reminder of Julian's life, it seems really important. I think it's probably worth mentioning too, that there was a, a dear friend of hers that collected her revelations and it was, I, to my understanding, made a copy of it and it was passed down through that order, a uh, handwritten copy for numbers of years before it actually became widely circulated. And uh, yeah, I just think, wow, to have such an impact on individuals that they would carry this piece of work and pass it on. And just thinking of the pride that this order probably had in having this this work. And so, yeah, I'm appreciative that there are those with us in the journey that 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 will carry on some of the things that that we we don't have to be a saint like Julian of Norwich, but there are people that we interact with that will carry on some of the shared experiences that we have together to future generations. And so I think that's one thing, one thing that stands out to me as well. Thank you for joining us in the Exploring Ancient Mystics and Contemplatives. I know this conversation has inspired me and hopefully it has for you as well. And now is the part of our podcast where we talk about what we are into. Let's see. We recently inherited a bunch of beef roast. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't really want to make beef roast because it's not really winter anymore. So we are trying something. We're trying um, putting it in the smoker, which is like a just today thing. So the thing that I'm into at this exact moment, like actually happening right now is smoking beef roast and seeing how it will go kind of being inspired by the beef brisket concept. But we did look it up online and it does seem like people do this kind of a thing. Um, So we'll see how it goes. Okay. I've never heard someone say I inherited and then beef roast by the end of that sentence. I was expecting like a piece of jewelry from my great grandmother, but happy to celebrate your beef roast with you, Christina. (laughs) I am into the summer swimming pool and Our family every year for years now have had a small neighborhood pool that we are part of. It's like a second family, a community that we look forward to in the summer. And our oldest child is now old enough to go through lifeguard certification and be a lifeguard this summer. So we've come full circle from toddlers at the pool, changing all the swim diapers to now being a full-fledged lifeguard. And so sweet. The lady that runs the pool was just so excited for being able to with the growing up of our kids and this threshold. So I'm very much into the neighborhood swimming pool. Yes, I am so glad that I will be into that as well. What a fun time. But that's the future. (laughs) All will be well. (laughs) Right now, currently, 
I don't know when this is going to air, but currently it is May and May has just been a crazy month and the days are getting longer. And so the kids are involved in more school activities. And so right now I'm engaged in a hostage negotiation. I'm the hostage with our night tuck-ins. So our youngest child is, is it a short tuck-in, a medium tuck-in or a long tuck-in? And so with these long days and activities, as soon as he gets home from school, is it going to be a short tuck-in, a long tuck-in? I really want to know the schedule, dad. And it's fun negotiating with him on whether it's going to be a short tuck-in or a long tuck-in. And sadly, there are too many short tuck-ins. I wish I I could have more long tuck-ins with him because it's just delightful being with all of my children at night. I think I've said in the podcast before, that's when my oldest children want to talk to me about their day. It's, hey, oh, we're going to bed. Maybe I can prolong this experience by giving data some details. (laughs) So I have been into hostage negotiation with nighttime tuck-ins. Nice. Thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, make it a great week. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, we invite you to stay connected by signing up for our Foundry Spiritual Center newsletter, where you can learn about even more programs and offerings. You'll find a link to subscribe in the show notes or visit us anytime at foundrysc.com. Thanks again for being with us. We hope you have a great week. Mm -hmm.